0: Hello everyone, I'm your host David Chaitas and welcome to Football Sometimes Wrong, the show in which I explore, explain, and discuss some of world football's biggest and most controversial matches of the past and analyze their impact on the sport today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this deep dive on the most egregious mistake a World Cup has ever seen and how that mistake caused an entire generation of football to change forever. Let me set the scene for you. It's June 27th, 2010 at the Free State Stadium in South Africa. England and Germany are about to face off in the most vicious round of 16 match that we have ever seen up to this point at this World Cup. Tensions are high and both teams don't want to go home early. Despite England having a pretty poor group stage performance, they still seemed like they could get it done against Germany. A German team that had the likes of Lukas Podolski, Miroslav Klose, Thomas Muller, Manuel Neuer, Bastian Schweinsteiger, Jerome Boateng. They had all of these powerhouses and still it seemed like it was shaping up to be a great match. Personally, I remember being really excited about the game. I couldn't wait to see some of the biggest players in world football go at it both physically and tactically to see who could come out on top. However, I was not expecting such an egregious error to happen at one of the world's biggest competitions ever after going two nil down to germany in under 35 minutes it all seemed like it was lost for england they were playing pretty terribly germany were dominating the match from start to finish but in the 37th minute matthew upson gives england a little hope he he scores a goal, and makes it 2-1 in the 37th minute. And England seemed to be picking up a little more momentum. They picked up enough momentum, in fact, that not even a minute later, Frank Lampard shot a absolutely ridiculous circus shot just outside the box that went over Manuel Neuer's head, that hit the underside of the crossbar, hit inside the goal, and then the ball bounced right back out. And then Manuel Neuer picked the ball up and booted it 80 yards down the field at this point you're watching and you're thinking that's a goal that's a goal and you know england have just drawn this game after being absolutely outplayed for 40 minutes but to the surprise of me and everyone in the stadium and everyone watching around the world the ref doesn't call a goal the assistant referee makes no signal that the ball had gone in and play continues at halftime, the English players swarm the referee. It's possibly the biggest mistake that a World Cup has ever witnessed. Millions of people across the globe notice that ball go in and bounce right back out. But assistant referee Mauricio Espinosa, who was the assistant referee of that game, said himself in an interview with Goal.com in 2010 that he missed the bounce of Frank Lampard's goal. He was according to him, attending to his duties, making sure that there was no offside. And in that split second in which Frank Lampard, you know, took that shot, he missed it. He missed the bounce. He missed the ball going in. And from there sparked a international debate that pushed us to where we are now. If you guys want to know, there's no surprise, but Germany ended up scoring two more goals in the second half and ended up winning 4-1 against england uh, thomas muller scored both of them in the 67th minute and the seventy-seventieth 70th, 70th minute but what's important is not the result of that match but the outcome of the match just a year later fifa and the international football association board started testing eight new systems of goal line technology for those of you who may not know Goal line technology is technology that is used to make sure the ball completely crosses over the goal line in order to surely and accurately award a goal. Out of the eight systems tested, only a year later, two of them passed, Hawkeye and Goal Ref. And Hawkeye, which the Premier League still uses to this day, were passed and amended into the laws of the game. The IFAB stated that, Goal line technology could be used but was not required for every league And there's a couple of reasons as to why it isn't required Firstly goal line technology is expensive the mls uh, Held off on it for a while because it was too expensive for teams to implement in their stadiums I think the scottish first division league also had a problem implementing it because of its cost It also angered football traditionalists that understood that football should be played under the supervision of one ref, two assistant referees and their eyes and ears only. They had no intention of changing or amending laws that would bring technology to the game. And someone who was a supporter of this sort of traditionalist thinking was former disgraced FIFA president, Sepp Blatter who was completely and utterly opposed to technology invading the game. And I use invading because I'm pretty sure he said that word at a press conference once. But even when the ball went into the goal for Frank Lampard's goal, the BBC commentary on it is hilarious. I think one of the commentators is like, this is what Setbladder Blatter wanted, no technology or something along those lines. a critique to the big bosses up at FIFA that said, hey, every sport needs to adapt eventually. And if we don't adapt, there will continue to be mistakes in not only refereeing, but mistakes that could, you know, discredit the authenticity of a match. A little bit more about goal line technology. Hawkeye. The system that the Premier League uses and probably the most favored system across the board uses seven cameras across the stadium that are pointed at the ball at every moment, especially when it's near the goal line to make sure to track the ball and make sure that the ball crosses the entire goal line. A referee has a watch that will buzz whenever the ball has crossed the line completely and that is the system that the Premier League uh, prefers. You may be thinking, does technology fail? How accurate is goal line technology? And I can certainly say that it is and has made the game fair for all teams across the board. However, there have been instances in which Hawkeye has failed. An instance that comes to mind is a game between Aston Villa and Sheffield United. um, After the pandemic, when games started being played again, Sheffield United whipped the ball into the box from a free kick, and the Aston Villa goalkeeper fell in to the goal with the ball in his hands, and it was apparent that the ball had crossed the line. However, referee Michael Oliver pointed to his watch to the Sheffield United players that were complaining and said, "I didn't get the 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 watch did not buzz. I did not get uh, a sign that it was a goal, and therefore they did not award it. Mistakes like this." are you know very rare when it comes to goal line technology and as a result VAR has come into play in 2018 the international football association board amended into the laws of its game the use of VAR across their competitions or across any competition that that wanted to implement VAR what is VAR you may ask VAR stands for video assistant referee And it's a screen that is now implemented uh, in stadiums that has the potential to review plays at a room of referees that watch the game, and in case there is a clear and obvious error that is missed by the referee, they can go back and review it, and the referee on the pitch can make his decision. VAR operates under the philosophy of minimal interference and maximum benefit. It's supposed to help the referee do his job, do his or her job, I'm sorry, but it is not there to replace the ref. Many football fans may know that VAR is a controversial topic um, across the board, not because it may be inaccurate or it doesn't work. It's comes. It boils down to inconsistency across VAR systems and a a lack of transparency when it comes to VAR. And let me explain. VAR is used for clear and obvious errors, and there is a list of things they can and can't review. But it seems like every day we get decisions that should be reviewed by VAR and that aren't, or we get decisions that are viewed, and we're thinking, why are they reviewing that? It makes no sense. But that's the way that FIFA wanted to implement their technology and i know i may get some hate for this but i for one do not oppose the use of var yes it may be unfair for some or inconsistent but it's all about making the game more accurate and it it is annoying when people complain about var because it is not an automated system like goal line technology it's not an automated system like this new automated offside technology that UEFA is testing out. It's still a group of referees that are, you know, calling the game from their room and making sure that clear and obvious errors get fixed. It's still up to human judgment and human interpretation. And that, I think, is something that people don't understand when it comes to arguing against VAR. If you had had VAR in 2010, for example... England versus Germany. And let's say that goal line technology had missed the goal. VAR could have gone back and the referee could have noticed that, hey, the ball crossed the line. And that could have been a goal for England. And it's these mistakes they try to fix, right? It's it's this issue of inconsistency and inaccuracy that plagues a sport that makes people, A, not want to watch it, or B, feel like their team is you know being persecuted because they don't get the right calls but with VAR you try to address that um coming up we have an interview with Steve Jensen he's a family friend a retired lawyer from Dallas Texas that is probably the biggest Liverpool supporter known to man he has some opinions and some thoughts on Frank Lampard's goal on goal line technology and on VAR as a whole so he's saying, yeah, look, the goal, that mid-watch would have gone off had that have been over the line. We'll just see here. That's, I mean, that's it's not, not, even, it's not even close. It's not even close. It's miles in. So, Steve, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you. So, Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, so I just had, you know, just to start it off, for all the people that are listening, uh, what football team do you support? and uh
1: liverpool football
0: club uh, can you give me a little uh background as to why you support them
1: yeah so uh i it's slightly embarrassing but uh i i admit it you know publicly before so (laughs) um i didn't start liking football at all except you know i followed my kids playing playing you know soccer yeah but uh in youth leagues and uh you know up until high school they both played but having said that you know although i enjoyed watching them play you know it was more as a dad watching their kids play it wasn't wasn't i wasn't interested in following the sport until my oldest son for i believe it was his 12th birthday we gave him a ps3 yeah and um you know one of the games that he got was fifa Mm -hmm. and i started playing fifa with him the weekend that he got it and i just was totally obsessed with the game yeah. from the beginning from the moment i started playing it yeah and uh you know i fell in love with you know the way soccer can be played by seeing it you get the full picture almost the full picture um from a tactical sense of of what's happening and you get to see you know when when the passing's really working and the movement's really cool how you know why it's called the beautiful game and i just fell in love and i was like okay well i have to start watching this for real yeah and so then to answer your question i started doing research i determined i had been playing premier league you know teams on the uh game on fifa and yeah. i was like okay and, and premier league was the easiest you know league to follow in the states um yeah. probably still is although there's a lot more coverage of the bundesliga and the spanish league um not sure if you can get italian games over here now but in any event um it it was the easiest one to follow back then which was it was you know it was way back in 2011 is when i started and and so i started researching premier league teams and i was like okay you know I'm, I get to I, I have this strange situation where I don't have any geographical connection to any of them, so I just get to pick what which one I like <laughs> the best, and uh, and so I started researching, learning about their history and the culture, sort of the fan culture and the the team culture, the ownership culture, all those things. I didn't want to support you know a a state run oil team like you know Man City or you know. Chelsea's yeah. not quite state-run, but it um, was definitely, right. a,
0: yeah,
1: it, it was an oil team for yeah. sure. Um, and so I, I eliminated, you know, those options. I d- definitely didn't want to follow Manchester United because they had been so good for so long, and you know that would have totally been, you know, just jumping on the best team <laughs> uh, kind of approach. And I didn't want to do that. Um, and so that kind of left, um, but I also wanted to, to follow a team that, you know, was sort of in the hunt, at least, you know, was sort of there and thereabouts for, for winning titles or at least qualifying for, you know, the champions league and those kinds of things. So I, that for the premier league, that really only left three options, Mm -hmm. which were Spurs, Arsenal, and Liverpool. Liverpool. And, um, so, uh, you know, after researching, um, those three teams I, I I don't I still don't have anything against either Spurs or Arsenal. I think those are good clubs and and uh, I like them uh, and I like the way they play football, yeah. um, although you know they have their ups and downs obviously. but um, I decided on Liverpool for a number of reasons. I, I had a um, I love the uh, sort of blue collar, not sort of it's a very blue collar left wing, um, part of England, yeah, and that that carries through in a very big way to the fan culture itself of Liverpool Football Club. Yeah. You know, back in the fifties when they started becoming good for the first time, it was under a guy named Bill Shankly, mm-hmm. and a Scottish man who you know just fell in love with the city of Liverpool when he was named manager, and they fell in love with him, uh, and he was you know an outspoken socialist man of the people who believed you know the football team owed everything to the fans and uh that you know football without fans is nothing yeah and he made he instilled that attitude in all of his players and it became a long-standing part of the the culture is that you know the, that that football club is a very important part of the fabric of Liverpool as a city which is itself a very vibrant city with a great history and you know the music Seen there you know obviously the beatles sprung from liverpool but you know even ever since they've had um a very active you know music culture there and um so i, I just i just loved everything about that and so uh and i and i'm a huge beatles fan on top For of sure. all of that um i also at the time uh kenny dalgleish who is one of liverpool's best ever players yep. Was the coach was the manager, mm-hmm. um, and I thought, well, that's really cool that they, you know, have one of their best ever players who is managing the team, and one of their other best ever players was then the captain of the team, which was Stephen Jarod. Yeah. So um, I thought all that was great. So I became a fan, and ever I, I, barely, since that 2011-2012 season, I have barely missed a kick of the football that oh. they've had since.
0: That's that's beautiful honestly I think it's especially unconventional I guess because here in America you you sort of get to pick and choose what club you want and what club you want to support and I do get that there are a lot of people who are uh, bandwagon fans who will jump on the United train who will now jump on the Arsenal train but I think it's it's nice that you know you did the research and you did the work and um, you sort of are as you know you, you're basically a fan as if you lived in Liverpool or are, you know, so it's, yeah, it's nice. It's interesting. You started watching football in 2011 um, or started researching around then. Um, right. In 2010, World Cup in South Africa. In that moment um, in 2010, there was no goal line technology, no VAR. Set Blatter, former uh, FIFA president, he was uh, really against, you know, the idea of implementing new technologies to the game. Um, right. What do you What do you think about, you know, um, the implementation of technology in the modern game? Should it be fix the mistakes that happen during the game, or just let it play out and talk about it afterwards? So, what do you think about that?
1: So, my thinking on this has evolved a little bit. Uh, since VAR has been implemented in the premier league over the last several seasons Mm -hmm. um, before VAR came to the premier league, I would have told you unequivocally that this technology would improve the game. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, getting more decisions right is always better for the game would, would have been my position. And I will say even today, having seen everything that's happened over the last several years since VAR has been implemented in England, um, that I I still on balance feel that the game is better with VAR than it it is without it. Now, as for goal line technology, it's not even a close call. I mean, I I think that in the five or six seasons, the goal line technology has been around. Um, I can't recall a single incident where it, you know, it looked like the, the technology had made a mistake. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously the ghost goal in, for Lampard, you know, would have counted and, you know, would have been totally non-controversial, yeah. um, uh, and, uh, you wouldn't need VAR to solve that. So goal line t- technology in my, you know, I believe that's a no brainer. Yeah. Um, the way that, you know, they, I, I'm not sure exactly uh, how it works. There's a, there's a sensor in the ball and maybe a electronic eye across the goal. I'm not sure yeah, if that's they, how it works, but.
0: I, th- I think they have like, um, cameras, uh, on top of the stadium that are pointing down at the goals and they, uh, mm. they have sensors and they track the ball as it crosses the line to make sure it crosses completely. So, yeah, I I also agree that it is, like, the, you know, like, very essential to the sport. Now I kind of want to get into VAR a little bit because I know that one's a lot more controversial out of the two, especially as a Liverpool fan. um, I know that some people online say that, you know, the top big six clubs get... Uh, bias from the FA, referee bias, VAR bias. Um and as a West Ham fan, uh I think that definitely it doesn't hit, it hits close to home because I know we've had some incidents, especially this season in which VAR hasn't gone our way and I know Liverpool have had, you know, they've had some pretty dodgy VAR decisions. So, how do you think the technology, uh specifically VAR can be improved to help the game because as of now it seems like it's very inconsistent and it isn't totally fair for all clubs across the board.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I will say on the fairness point, I think you have to look at, at um, you know, data over a long as long a period of time as you can um to see, you know, who's benefiting from you know var decisions uh you know decisions that actually overturn the on-field decision of the referee um and whether or not it appears that there's you know any kind of bias based on the long-term data set i i you know we all we all are um have our cognitive biases that are you know based on recency and confirmation bias and You know, whoever we want, you know, whatever outcome we want to happen, and whether that's what's happening and that affects all of us and can't help it. But um, but in order to assess whether or not there's a actual bias, which is totally, you know, in my view, believable, I don't don't think you have to be a conspiracy theorist (laughs) to think that that, you know, I don't think it's intentional if it's happening, but but that doesn't mean there's not a subconscious bias at play. Um, by VAR officials and on-field officials both when it comes to, um, you know, their calls. And I think that the data have shown over time and the the uh, Freakonomics people looked at this, um, that, you know, the home field advantage in lots of sports, including football, yeah. um, is largely down to, um, you know, referees being affected by, the fans, um, and, uh, and the home field, which, you know, again, I, there's no, there's no reason that they're intentionally doing that. Um, it's, it's just, you know, it's sort of a natural, uh, impact of the environment that they're in Mm -hmm. and, you know, something similar could happen with respect to, uh, you know, the bias for, or, or some are arguably even against, the bigger clubs. Um, And uh, so, you know, and I've seen some of that data about VAR overturns, but I don't know that I've seen it in a way that it convinced me one way or the other um, of anything happening. Um, I think you have to, there may not even be enough data yet to, to really, in my view, make a very strong case uh one way or the other about that having said all of that um var is is definitely controversial for a number of reasons inconsistency um being a big one Um, clearly some of the calls you know sometimes it looks like why wouldn't you reverse that call when they don't and sometimes they do reverse calls that it seems like another call that's very similar. They're not going to reverse. And uh, so so consistency is definitely a big part of it. Another part that I think gets talked about a little bit less, but for me is the biggest factor as to why I am less uh, unequivocally supportive of VAR now than I was before it was implemented. And that is the impact that it has on the fans experience of the match Mm -hmm. is pretty dramatic. Um, So, you know, when, when a goal gets scored pre VAR, there's, you know, unequivocal pandemonium, you know, just a complete release um, from whatever team scores the goal um, by the fans. And, and that, you know, whether you're watching on TV or certainly if you're in the ground, but but even if you're watching on TV, if you're a big fan and, and a, your team scores a goal, then you just go wild. Yeah. And now, you know, that experience is quite different. Right. Um. I mean, there are some goals that it's pretty clear there's no offsides or whatever, and you can pretty much go nuts. Yeah. Um, from the get go, but a lot of goals, there may be some question there. Right. (laughs) And, and it's just a different feeling. And, and, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not so bad that, that again, I, I I still come down toward, I think more decisions are right with VAR in my opinion than are you know, would be if we didn't have VAR, um, there's a lot of overturns, um, that that are good overturns Mm -hmm. um and so and i think that's a good thing in general but the this experiential impact that it has on fans um and you know probably the players too uh, at some level are you know they're they're it's got to be topsy-turvy for them as well Mm -hmm. um that's that's not good i i don't mind the delay as much as the as much as the you don't really know whether to celebrate or not, yeah, that bugs me.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting to hear that. I mean, people always, you know, I think inconsistency is the biggest thing that they do talk about, but I mean, at least for me, I never thought about the fan experience and the player experience like that. You know, before pre VAR, the only thing you really had to worry for was the assistant referee raising the flag, maybe it's offside. Right. But if not, you know, you went nuts. It was it was a goal, and there was nothing they could do about it. But now, right, you know, they score a goal, and e- even if it if it looks like you know there could be nothing possibly wrong that could overturn it, you still sort of hold your breath just a little bit. Just you know, are they gonna? Maybe there's a right. foul in the buildup. Maybe there's something going on that you know just causes the goal to be overturned. So it is interesting in that aspect, and. Especially for the players, you know, because I think before that, you know, they also, you know, they look at their system referee, no flag, they're gonna go insane. But now yeah. they score a goal, and you know, they wait, they look, they watch the big screen in the in the in the ground, and they wait to see, you know, if everything yep. the var check is complete. So yeah, I think that is really interesting. Um, do you think there's any way they can get around that? Um, you know, maybe quicker var decisions or Maybe, you know, looking at goals that, you know, that can, that have something very clearly wrong with them or is, is it, you know, just going to be like that always, you know, like that long check, you know, the holding your breath until the the system says, nope, all clear. It's a goal.
1: I think that, um, a big step, it won't completely change this, but, but a big step in the right direction will be if this new UEFA automatic offsides technology um, is, is actually viable and, and effective. Uh, because I think well over half, and I, I'd like to see what the data are, but my perception is it's well over half and maybe as much as 75% of VAR reviews of, of goals, um you know come down to off decisions yeah. and to the extent that those decisions can be automated and therefore quicker mm-hmm. um, because they're automated uh, much quicker uh then uh that will alleviate a lot of that um you still you know it's more it'll be more like see you know just looking to see if the linesman has raised the flag yeah. as, as you had to in the old days um so i'm hopeful that that technology will will you know work out and um my my hope is you know goes beyond you know just this timing aspect to you know it also being a more fair consistent um implementation of var than the the current system is because you know, I just think even, even on offsides decisions, which a lot of people say, well, it's either offsides or it's not. And yeah, yeah, at some level it is, but you've got to make a judgment call about, um, you know, when exactly what frame, you know, of the, of the the video is, is the right point at which to draw the line. And then, um, you know, how thick is the line and (laughs) all that kind of you know, stuff, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that speeding it along, um, and hope I'm hopeful that the offsides automation will help that, um, other things that they might do. I don't know. I, I, I feel like there are, there's still ought to be room for if there's a potential foul in the buildup to the goal or, um, you know a, a handball or whatever and handball is an awfully difficult and controversial decision almost every time it happens it that, seems like but that's another but,
0: issue right
1: yeah uh-huh. um and they keep changing that rule too yeah. uh, which you know i i guess i'm in favor of them trying to get it right <laughs> but, but uh, getting a getting a rule that that ends up generating decisions that people feel good about, um, which is uh, probably never going to happen, frankly, but (laughs) (laughs) at least, at least they can keep trying. Uh, But uh, I still think my bottom line for me Mm -hmm. is, I think that, you know, having VAR leads to more correct decisions in general, even though there are you know, some percentage of them, whether it's 10% or even 25% of the VAR decisions that are controversial, yeah, that still leaves somewhere in the range of 75% or more of the decisions that VAR is making that, you know, are good
0: decisions
1: that, you know, wouldn't have happened if the VAR hadn't been there.
0: Yeah, that is true. I mean, Unlike goal line technology, which is, you know, completely automated, it's all, you know, an algorithm that, you know, says goal or not goal, VAR still has right. a lot of, a judgment call from a, from, a, you know, a team of a group of people, you know, it's as as, yeah, much as you know, people love to say that, you know, VAR is going to replace the role of the officials, but VAR is like, it, it is the officials, you know, it's, if you yeah. have a uh, referees that are experienced and, you know, they know the laws of the game and you know, they, they know what they're doing, then it's going to work. But if you have referees, you know, that just adds to the inconsistency. Um, They're just, you know, they're not going to know, you know, how to make the right call. And at the end of the day, that doesn't really, it's not VAR's fault. It's not an algorithm. It's not an automated system. It's a group of people that look at a play. So yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Steve, for uh, joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, I know this interview probably did drag on for a little longer than 15, 20 minutes, but, you know, it is time sort of just flies when you're, you know, talking about these things, especially, you know, controversy around VAR and, you know, the implementation of new technology. But, yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, All right. I'll definitely. Thanks. uh, Thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. It's interesting how a player like Frank Lampard could have influenced an entire generation of football. There will be a whole generation of kids out there that won't remember how the game is played without massive delays or a buzzing watch that will tell the ref when the ball went in or not. Sport has to evolve in order to be more accurate and more fair. And if it took... And injustice in the world cup if it took an a poor english team to be battered for one then i'm all for it thank you guys for listening hope you have a wonderful day notably the non-awarding of a goal after frank lampard's shot crossed the line in the match between
1: england and germany at the 2010 fifa world cup This goal line incident in particular triggered the International Football Association Board's decision to reconsider the introduction of goal line technology into the laws of the game, a decision that was formalised at its annual business meeting in October 2010. Defoe, that's a lovely
0: touch. Lampard! Brilliant! Brilliant. That surely crossed the line!